As you get settled, let me invite you to open a Bible with me back to the Gospel of Luke, this time Luke chapter 23. If you need a Bible open or on, scroll down or turned over, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And while you're turning back there, let me echo the welcome. It is so good to be with you on this beautiful spring morning. We have guests with us. We're so thankful for your presence. We invite you to open your Bible, turn on a Bible, follow along with us on the screen behind me. There is such good news that we have been singing about this morning. and We want to continue our worship by opening up God's Word and allowing Him to draw us closer to Himself. Even on this first day of the week, in the light of these first days of the week that we've been singing about and, and reflecting on this morning. They were two criminals, thieves according to Matthew's gospel. And we don't know what they had stolen. We don't know who they had stolen from, but we know that they were now under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers and their lives were about to come to an end. They were being led by these Roman soldiers to the skull. What an ominous name for a little hill just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. It was a hill beside a couple of major thoroughfares that would lead in and out of the city and it was not chosen by the Romans by accident. It was a kind of billboard erected by Rome using notorious criminals. Criminals that would be led through the city, outside, through a, a very busy gate, leading in and out of the city. And those criminals under Roman direction would be led up the rise of this little hill where as people came and went for hours, perhaps days to come, they would see this gruesome billboard. And that billboard communicated without words, but very powerfully with visuals. You don't cross Rome. We are in charge here. Caesar is king here. We are here, and if you choose to in some way cross us or defy us, this is the sort of thing that you can expect. And so on this Friday, two thieves were being led outside of the city walls. There were three crosses there. And if your Bible is open to Luke chapter 23, you can see in verse 25 
of Luke 23, who that middle cross was intended for. It was a, in the language of verse 25, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, defying the rule of Rome and murder. This man, he, he is described in other gospel accounts as a notorious criminal. His name was Barabbas. He had been captured by Rome. He had spent time in prison. He was guilty not just of taking things that didn't belong to him. He was guilty of murder. And he had an appointment that Friday morning right in the middle. So we've got a thief on either side and a notorious criminal captured murderer that is going to be crucified on this living billboard on this Friday. But things didn't turn out quite like that. If your Bible is open, you can skip just a little before this to verse 18 where we hear that Barabbas' name is being cried out. It's being cried out by a crowd before the Roman governor, but they're not crying out that he would finally get what is coming to him. No, this crowd of Jewish chief priests and Jewish rulers and a, a mob of people that have gathered, they're crying out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. There's another man in the middle of all of this. Jesus from Nazareth. Verse 19 reminds us that Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. But Pilate, this Roman governor who's standing before this crowd, he, he is confused. The thieves, guilty. Barabbas, guilty. We've had him in prison for a good long time. Jesus, I've examined him. There are, are other officials that have examined him and I don't understand why. Verse 20, he, he addressed them once more desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time, Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he, Jesus, Done. I have found no fault in him, no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Down in verse 26, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the bearers 
barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And then beginning in verse 32, a, a very specific scene is set for us. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. As we do our best to put ourselves in that scene, we could look through the eyes of several different people there. We, we could try and look through the eyes of Mary, Jesus' mother, whom we know is there. We could try and put our, ourselves in the eyes of John, the apostle, who we know is there, present with the mother of Jesus. We could try and envision what this was like through the eyes of one of the Roman soldiers. We know that there is a centurion there who comes to be just awestruck by what he sees over the course of the next few hours. What I would like to do with you is to try and get us all in the head of, of one of those thieves. And just explore a couple of really basic things. For instance, number one, what, what does he see as he is hanging on one of these crosses? Well, he, he comes to see somehow, some way that God should be feared. And he knows, he is so painfully aware in this moment that he hasn't always done that. Had he done that, he probably wouldn't be where he is today. But we listen in, in verse 39, where one of the criminals, the other criminal on the other side of Jesus, is railing at Jesus. And so we've got people all around at the base of the cross, and now on one of the sides of Jesus, one of those criminals is also railing at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But it's our thief for, for this morning who sees somehow, some way, God should be feared. If he could go back and have one message, wouldn't this be at the heart of everything? Listen, whomever you are, whatever choices you make, let me tell you my story and let me tell you what, it, what, what could have made all the difference. God should be feared. We know that's on his mind because he speaks up in verse 40. He rebukes that man on the other side asking, do you not fear God? He sees in this moment that actions have consequences. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly actions have consequences. We broke the law and now we are suffering the penalty for breaking the law and there might have been a time where we tried to rationalize it or skirt away from it. But listen, in this moment, there's, there's great clarity. We're here and here justly. Actions have consequences. We are receiving the due reward of our deed. That other thief, on the other side, he's spending his last breaths ridiculing Jesus. He's joined that chorus of the chief priests and the Jewish rulers and the, the, the mob and, and the soldiers, mocking this man in the middle. Maybe he had started with a little glimmer of hope. Could it be in this most desperate and final hour as, as the door of death is swinging now on me. Could it be that this man in the middle could somehow make it all go away? He could get down and maybe he would be willing to save us as well. But he just keeps staying there. On the other side, this man sees really basic things that culture sometimes blinds us to. And so let's, let's look through his eyes this morning and, and remember that God is to be feared and, and actions have consequences and Jesus had done nothing wrong. This man sees that. Here we are on either side justly receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And what he sees leads this man to believe certain things. And so as, as we do our best to, as painfully as it is, imagine being this man, what does he believe? All we have to go on is, is what we hear. But in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, he believes that that man in the middle cares. 
I know his name. His, his name is Jesus. And with my dying breaths, I'm going to ask, Jesus, remember me. Why would you ask someone who is about to die right there along with you to, to remember you? Well, he believes. Listen to what he says in verse 42. We're up here dying justly, but death is not the end. Jesus, remember me when you come into. Now, what sense does that make? Because here is Jesus suspended between heaven and earth right there along with him. What do you mean, come into? You're going to die right here on the skull. But you see, this man believes, even if it may not look like it in the moment, he believes Jesus is the King. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if you are there at the base, let's say John, let's say Mary of this cross, and you hear what this man has just said, what's going through your mind? I'll tell you what, ashamedly, probably would have flashed through my mind. Really? I mean, you remember, right? You see that actions have consequences, and you had time, you had opportunity. I mean, Jesus has been publicly going all over for three years. He's been in Jerusalem for a week. Really, now you're going to try and make things right when you're backed into a corner and there's nowhere else to go. I mean, there were other people who came to Jesus in times of great need, but, you know, there were... There were powerful people, people like Nicodemus, one of the, the, the leading authorities of the Jews, and even a, a Roman centurion here and there who would come in, in desperate times. And we might not have thought that Jesus would pay attention to them, but, but he did. The more we think about it, at, at times there were some really sick people who came to Jesus. And they didn't have much that they could offer in the moment. I mean, they, they'd never been able to walk before. They'd never been able to see before. They, they, they had terrible leprosy. And we've seen over the course of the last three years how, how patient and kind and, and giving Jesus was to those people. And, and the more that we think about it, well, there, there were certainly some... Bad people in the eyes of society and our, our fellow descendants of Abraham. You know, there were some rejected and lonely and outcasts. There were some really notorious sinners. Even some tax collectors, prostitutes. But I mean, they came to Jesus while they still had time. And, and he had time. And... 
And who knows what those powerful people could do for Jesus once he began to change their lives. And yeah, he talked about new births and he talked about fresh starts and he talked about clean consciences and the forgiveness of sins. But all of those people could do something for Jesus. They, they, they could serve him for the rest of their lives. Who knows what, what, what good they could do. But this man, I mean, he has just a few breaths left in the grand scheme of things. And this is the end. He's not getting off the skull. What does he have to offer? How is he possibly going to make up to Jesus what Jesus is being asked for. But the reason that we know about this man is not just because of what he saw and what he believed, but what he experienced. Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he experienced assurance. Jesus doesn't ignore him. Doesn't close his eyes, turn his head away. He, he speaks to him. Can you imagine what breaths, the breaths necessary to speak words as you have nails driven through your hands and a nail driven through your feet and, and every time you want to breathe, you have to push the, the weight of your body up, agonizingly irritating those, those piercings in your hands and, and your feet. These aren't wasted, casual afterthought sort of breaths. The breaths necessary to say these words hurt more than I, and I'm guessing you can even begin to imagine. But Jesus does what is necessary to speak to this man and assure him, truly I say to you today, Today, you will be with me. What's this man experiencing? He's experiencing assurance. An incredible compassion. How long had it been since this man felt these things? Been shown these things? In one word, what does he experience? Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Now before we're done, I need you to turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Toward the end of your Bibles because it's really important. Two things that we see this morning. Number one, 
What an amazing story of grace. That all the way up to the end, Jesus had the heart of that shepherd who was seeking to save the lost. That's number one. Number two is, okay, here we are 2,000 years removed from this. What can we learn? And, and perhaps a better way of putting that, how does this relate to us? Because perhaps you know, just as surely as I know, every once in a while as we're, we're talking with people about God's will for your life and His willingness to forgive and, and, and to live for Jesus. Make the most of life the way your Creator meant it to be. Every once in a while, this man comes up. And absolutely, we should be blown away at the amazing grace of God. Let's just make sure, using God's Word, that we understand how that amazing picture relates to us today. Three basic points before we're done this morning. Number one, clearly, through Jesus, anyone can be reconciled to God. We, we got a hint of that in Luke chapter 23. If your Bible is open there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's just made really explicit for us. You read with me in verse 18 where the Apostle Paul is led by the Spirit of God to write, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, this apostle writes, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. God the Father made Him, His only Son, to be sin who knew no sin. He was right there on that middle cross so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Number one, through Jesus, anyone can be reconciled to God. But before we're done, I need you to open your Bible with me to the book of Hebrews, even closer to the end of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 7, and let's listen to how, of all things, a Jewish writer writes to fellow Jews who are believers that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's helping them to understand how all of this relates to everything that they've ever known. And one of his really big ideas right here in the heart of this powerful letter is anybody can be reconciled to God through Jesus who is the mediator of a, a new covenant. If your Bible open there to Hebrews chapter 7, you look with me at verse 25. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. You see, death was not the end. He died on Friday. He, come, he came out of the grave on the first day of the week as we've sung and, and celebrated today. 
And now he lives. Jesus lives to make intercession for all who would draw near to God through him. Okay, we're on the right track. I just need to know how to do that. Let's go to the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 8, and you begin reading with me in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this, and it is our point this morning. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, our priest also, to have something to offer. Now, Sidebar, verse 4, if he were on earth, he, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. He, he didn't qualify to be a priest under that old law of Moses. But listen, there's good news in verse 5. Those things of the old law of Moses, they're, they're like copies or shadows of the heavenly things. Moses, after all, was told there's, there's a, a pattern and you make sure that when you build, for instance, that tabernacle, you make everything according to the pattern that God has shown you on the mountain. But end of sidebar, let, let's come back to Jesus. He's obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates. It's better this way of being reconciled to God and having a relationship with God, this is better. It's enacted on better promises. And, and if that first covenant, that old law of Moses, had been faultless, there wouldn't have even been an occasion for this. Second. Well, what, what sort of faults did it have? He, he makes it explicit for us in Hebrews 10. It's... It's impossible for all of those animal sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so in Hebrews 9 verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest, remember he needs something to offer, but he doesn't bring the blood of bulls and goats. It's impossible for that blood to take away sins. And so he comes with his own blood. And secures an eternal redemption. I appreciated how Gerald drew our attention to this in our connection with the Lord's Supper. What Jesus said on the night of his betrayal. This blood that I'm about to shed. It's the blood that's going to open the doors of this covenant. Now, I want you to listen really carefully with me in Hebrews chapter 8, in verse 13, because this really matters. If I want to be reconciled to God, if I want to have a relationship with God, this really matters. Hebrews 8, verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Well, what in the world does it mean that it's, it's obsolete? I thought for a long time this past week how to illustrate that. 
And I figured I would take inspiration from what's going to be on the minds of a whole lot of people this week. I'm sorry if this makes you break out in cold sweats. You know, let's say I work really hard this week making sure our, our, our taxes are ready to go and I, I, I get a, all the boxes checked, all of the names and social security numbers and all of the facts and figures. And I send this form in. Any problem with that form? That there's one big problem with that form right there at the top. It's what would have been filled out in the year that I was born. Now, this is still available through the magic of Google Archives. I had no problem whatsoever finding it, and I, I downloaded it, and, you know, I could start playing with that and fill it in, and, and I could send it off, and, and I could even there about halfway down, you want to contribute $1 to go to the presidential election campaign fund, and I remember perhaps in, in 1978, it was Jimmy Carter who was serving as president, and so I decide not only am I going to use this old form, but I want to make sure my hard-earned dollar goes to Jimmy Carter's presidential election campaign. Do I have any reason whatsoever to believe that that's going to fly with the IRS? Not, not a shred. And there's, there's one reason. That right there, it was. It was the law of the land at one point. Every citizen of the United States of America at one point was under the authority of, of that form. But that form, that is obsolete. Don't lean on that form to do what the authorities of our nation are calling you to do. And that is the simple but eternally significant point being made in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Hebrews chapter 9. He's the mediator. That man on the middle cross is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred. How, how did this new covenant, when did this new covenant come into effect? For some reason, the writer brings our attention to the fact that a, a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must first be established. And again, okay, now I've got a Bible example that I can easily wrap my mind around. You might have drawn one of these up when you were 25 years old. By the time you were 40, your life looked really different. So you know what you did? You changed it. And by the time you were 60, your, your, your life looked really different. And so you changed it again. And let's say you just begin to be really excited about paying a lawyer to make changes. And so you just, you know, routinely make changes. You can do that. For the rest of your life until you die. And when you die, that will goes into effect. It's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. 
So if all of those illustrations have let you out in left field, could I just call you one more time? Right here to the ending. If I'm going to be reconciled to God, I've got to obey the terms of this new covenant. What about that thief on the cross? He's in exactly the same boat as for our purposes this morning. The way Abraham was reconciled to God. Esther was reconciled to God. David was reconciled to God. Jeremiah was reconciled to God. Those were amazing people. Amazing faith. And God did amazing things by his amazing grace in the lives of those people. But listen. Just like you don't file 1978 1040s, we are under a new covenant. And so if I want to be reconciled to God, you want to be reconciled to God, what do we need to do? Well, in Hebrews chapter 5, although he was the son, that man on the middle cross, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I, I need to obey him. Okay, well, why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's the only one who's come out of the grave, so he has the right to tell us that. And he tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, post-death, post-resurrection, I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and, and I'm going to be with you always to the degree that he said in John 13, listen, if somebody receives you, it's like they're receiving me. And if, if somebody rejects you, it's like they're rejecting me. And so what did these people People do they stayed right there in Jerusalem and about 40 days later they stood up guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and they convicted thousands of killing the Son of God and when those people asked what shall we do Peter told them repent and if ever there was a moment to say, you remember that guy up there on that other cross? You remember what he saw? Just see that. You remember what he believed? Just believe that. And you'll be good. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not what he said. And we've learned today why he said what he said. It was the era of a new covenant. A new will that came into effect at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should I care about that will? Because he came out of the grave. And the call is, turn away from sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Was that just for Jews? Nope. First time Gentiles were told this good news. Same thing. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, questions like this just kept getting asked over and over again. Why, why wait? 
Look at what that man on the middle cross did for you. Don't you understand the amazing grace that is available to anyone through what was accomplished on that Friday and verified on that Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago? And so we're going to stand in just a moment and we're going to sing just as I am. What a perfect encapsulation of what we've talked about this morning. And if in any way you need to respond just as you are to the Christ who can reconcile anyone to God, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?